Now entering Nerdist.com. You made it weird. What's happening, weirdos? I am so, so, so excited to introduce, or maybe you're already familiar with this wonderful man, uh, Richard Rohr, who is a Franciscan teacher, author. Uh, He's in the Brotherhood. I don't even know how to use the proper Catholic terminology. All I know is this guy blows my mind on the regular. He's amazing. He's, uh, he's, for for my non-religious, which I have to think is a lot of you guys, which I love. Why do I have to give that a judgment? I love that. I don't... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Boy, he's so progressive. He's he's one of those we talk about it on the podcast. If he had grown up in India, he'd be a Hindu. This is the tradition that he uh, has been raised with and studied and embraces and loves. So he's sharing his uh, Catholicism with us, but in this way that has just been consistently blowing my mind uh, for many years. It is the uh, Forbes series. Rob uh, Bell introduced uh, introduced me to uh, Richard in his book Falling Upward which blew my mind. We talk about that quite a bit in this episode, and uh, I'm so, so excited. Check it out. Check out Everything Belongs. Check out Falling Upward. He has uh, a lot of his uh, podcasts and uh, little homilies and stuff online. It's just amazing. This guy is, as he says, uh, on the edge of the inside, and I love that, and I was so happy to spend time with him uh, down in Laguna talking for a couple hours, and I'd love to do it again. He was amazing. So check him out. Uh, in your own time, because honestly, nothing beats just hearing what he has to say straight on. So read his books and stuff if you're into them. But I was happy to talk to him, and I'm happy to share that with you now. Uh, so here are a couple tour dates coming up. They're all with Rob Bell. Right now, I don't have any standalone uh, tour dates just with me, but I'm so excited to be doing the uh, Together at Last tour with Rob. And we are going to Boulder, Colorado. We're going to Salt Lake City, Utah. We're going to Seattle, Washington. Portland, Oregon. Uh, Then I'll be in Austin for the Moon Tower Festival. Then Tucson, Tampa, Orlando, and then Boston. Uh, All of those dates are on PeteHolmes.com or RobBell.com. Please check it out. Those are going to be so, so fun. Some of the stuff that uh, I talk about here in this podcast uh, certainly will be bleeding into what we talk about at the Together at Last Tour. It's me and Rob on stage together. Uh, kind of tackling the big questions, the things that we're both interested in, but also in a funny and uh, very, I hope, entertaining way. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. Just towards the end, he says something that really has completely changed my life. I keep saying to myself uh, the same thing over and over. You'll hear me quote it many times after this, but you're going to hear it for the first time uh, here. And uh, also, I do want to give a little shout out to the Nerdist School. Nerdist is obviously our network. And they have now begun offering sketch and comedy classes. Actually, it's been happening since 2013. And it's become a fertile breeding ground for future comedy writers and performers. On Saturday, March 28th, it's the official grand opening of their comedy stage with 12 hours of free improv comedy, food trucks, and an after party. So come see what the nerd seedlings can do. The Improv Comedy Fest starts at noon and ends at midnight. Saturday, March 28th, next to Meltdown Comics on Sunset. Go to Nerdist.com slash school for more 
more information. That's not the sponsor. The sponsor is Aziz. You got to check it out. Madison Square Garden. Aziz Ansari is at his best in his second Netflix special, known for his stand-up and as well as his TV and film credits, such as Parks and Rec and I Love You, Man. Aziz delivers his hilarious, sharp-witted take on topics ranging from the food industry to the struggles of the American immigrant to why only the only polite way to cancel on someone would be dying. Back in the day, you just had to die. Aziz Ansari live at Madison Square Garden is streaming now only on Netflix. All right, everybody, get into Richard Rohr. Really hope you enjoy it. It was one of the best conversations I've had in a very long time. So without further ado, get into it. Ooh, one more thing. April 17th, I'm doing my monthly show, Pete Holmes, Living at Largo. The last one had Sarah Silverman, Frightened Rabbit, Matt McCarthy. It was amazing, uh, and I promise this one this month is going to be amazing. Tickets, www.largo-la.com if you're going to be in L.A., on April 17th. That show is always awesome, and it's always great when weirdos come out. Hope to see you. Okay, enough plugs. Get into it. You know, this is a, a, a comedy podcast. That's how it's mm-hmm. ranked, and I'm a comedian. But uh, I, I was like, it's not... I don't want you to be funny. When Rob was on... When oh, D- I don't know how to be funny. <laughs> I don't. I'm too serious. I'm so serious. But I, I'm happy, but I'm serious. I yeah. wish I could be more lighthearted. So you'll you'll lighten me up. Go well, ahead. I'll make I'll make I'll probably make some stupid jokes, but no, honestly, nothing is uh, funnier to me than the truth. We had Brian Green, the wow. astrophysicist, on, right? Nothing's funnier than the truth. I ahead. laughed the whole time. It was wow. just a man talking about black holes and stuff, and I all the only response I could come up with. Was was laughing. It was, it was the yeah. funniest episode yeah. to me. That's good. That's so well put. All I want you to do is uh, is oh. be you. All right, I'll try my best. And I, it's actually a little a little background on how I sure, found please. you. This is, we're obviously here in uh, beautiful Laguna. I'm making sure everything's recording. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> well, that's what you gotta do. All right. Everything's recording. I and I, I became friends with Rob from doing a podcast with him. I read his books and. I'm in this privileged p- position where I can be like, oh, I'd like to talk to that person. You had him come to the studio in Hollywood, and we talked, and then we started uh, surfing almost every weekend together. Then I, he introduces me to you. He, he uh, We talk a lot about family and stuff. And oh, you're a father? No, oh, I, I have one, though, okay, and that's okay. enough. <laughs> we can talk about that, too. We could, well, he gave me fa- Falling Upward. He was like, you should read oh, this book. Oh. <clears throat> Phenomenal book. I actually have it with me. Wow. The intro to that book, just the intro, it's a phenomenal book, but just the intro is one of the best things I had ever read in my life. I couldn't get over, I was like, what is the book <laughs> if this is the intro? Well, thank you. I, I'll have to go back and read it. You really <laughs> should. You, I'll show you my copy, okay, the, the okay. amounts that are blocked off and well, highlighted and stuff. makes me happy. Thank you. But you and, and everybody that listens to this podcast, even though it's a comedy podcast, knows that I quote you on several things. One of them is that you introduced me to the word uh, transrational. Transrational. Which, okay... I, I'm very, you know, selective about who I want to introduce because this is a secular show. It's not sure, a Christian sure, podcast. Sure. Most I of the, that. yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, 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 me too. <laughs> Are you yeah, kidding me? Yeah, yeah. The burden of the pastor to have to, you know, t- talk to believers. It sounds like a nightmare to me. <laughs> it is. It's a minefield because they've all got their little issues they want to protect and defend. Oh. God. Yeah. Well, we're dealing with a, uh, an open, Great. open-hearted, open-minded. All right. Most of them, I think, a lot of them are atheists. That the guests, mm-hmm. a lot of comedians happen mm-hmm. to be atheists, and uh, and then we all also have weird, mystically inclined people, such as myself. 
And then when I heard the word transrational, I was like, here's a guy mm. not uh, apologizing for the fact that there's some pretty big buys in any religion, big uh, beliefs that seem a little preposterous yeah, or whatever. Yeah. So I was like, oh, here's a guy. So, okay. This is where we're going to start. All right. Wherever you want to start is fine. This is where we're going to Because I'm walking to get breakfast this morning, and uh, I don't know where to start. And Rob, Rob Bell calls me. We're here for this two-day event that you guys just did, which was phenomenal. And he calls me, and I'm not really one of those. Uh, I am a little bit, but I'm not overly one of those guys. That's not, I was just thinking, how am I going to start with Richard? And he called me to tell me how to start with you, which really? I think is really funny. Tell me. Because he knows... My passion is babies in bathwater. Let's get some babies out of the bathwater. As a person who, in a very falling upward way, lost my faith in a beautiful way. It wasn't, it wasn't bad at all. It was great to light that furniture on fire and then reconstruct the room in this, mm. in this glorious way. When I talk mm. to people that lose their faith now, I'm like, great, talk to me in five years. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know I you know what I mean. agree with you more. Yeah. So to get... The people listening, why am I, why am I talking to uh, you? Mm-hmm. I wanted to start, and this is what Rob suggested, with uh, duality, the idea of dualistic oh, okay. thinking. And then, you can't talk too much. I'm oh, here to listen, and, good, and I'll good, interject good, a little good. bit. All right. <laughs> so, uh, you want me to start with that? Yes, please, yeah, if yeah. you don't mind, if you think that's a good place to start. You know, I even checked this out with some doctors, and they assured me that it was true, that the mind left to itself, is a binary system, that it understands everything, uh, already starting a little, one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, with comparing it to something else. Mm -hmm. So when you first comprehend the word short, it's only in comparison to tall, all right? Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, unless you learn a more subtle level of perception, most people spend their whole life simply comparing things and it gets worse than that, uh, <laughs> that you choose sides. Whenever, whenever you say short and tall, for some damn reason, I use the word damn intentionally, yeah. we say tall is good, short is bad. Right. This is the stating of preferences the, or the making of judgments. Now, this is why Buddha, Jesus, invariably your great spiritual teachers will say, do not judge. Now, in our language, probably it'd be closer to say, do not label. That's yeah. what they really mean. Mind blown number one. Yeah. I just love saving people. Love. I did these witch trials when yeah. I was young, oh. and uh, we were supposed to be in 1692, and people would stand up and go, "Judge not, lest ye be judged," because we're just like we think of it as like certainly you shouldn't call women witches and, and yeah, yes, to death. Yes, yes. I agree with them. That. But we, you said this great thing where we use the Bible or any spiritual text as a personal fortune cookie yes. to affirm our own yeah. labelings, our our own biases, yes, right? Yes. The, so word, the word doesn't change people. They impose on it their own agenda, their own biases. Yes. Not knowing they're doing that. Right. Know? So yeah. the brain loves to label. The ego loves to label. And it does it in a very, really uh, infantile way. Just, <laughs> you know, uh, if it's not Democrat, it's Republican. If it's not, you know, yeah. uh, gay, it's straight. Black, it's white. And I mean, this is the basis of all biases, right. you know? With so, us against uh, us. So, so that's why the discovery of the soul by your great mystics and saints is really discovering the world of subtlety, the world of discrimination, discernment, which becomes, ironically, much greater clarity, you mm-hmm. know, that you see things in their uniqueness, in their specialness. 
in their ordinariness and their wonderfulness by seeing them in their specificity, mm. not just their category. Do you see? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, but the normal person, uh, usually until they've suffered or loved, you heard me say that. Uh, mm-hmm. Great love and great suffering are the normal paths that open you up to. There's there's world in between tall and short. Mm-hmm. There's a world in between black and white. There's a world in between even bad and good. Or true <laughs> and not true. Yes, yeah, that, that's yeah. where we really start yeah, getting. Yeah. Because we talked a lot about the, the spiral dynamics, and, and mm-hmm. we, I think a lot of my listeners are orange, the people that want to know. Probably That's not much. true. We can't quantify it, so it's horseshit. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and honestly, that when I lost my traditional faith, that's a lot of what I did. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah. the physical death and resurrection of Christ seems stupid. And then I started reading Joseph Campbell and all these people mm-hmm. that are kind of wow. like, or it's, it's yeah, a story yeah. because... We need stories and we need myths and we need metaphors. You said the only way to talk about God is through metaphor. Right? There's nothing else possible. There's Salty the, dog. The only language <laughs> religion is capable of yeah. is metaphor. Right. If they just make that humble uh, assertion or realization, we could have such so much healthier religion. That's right. You know? yeah. But we get stuck in like yeah. a fundamentalism, fundamentalism yeah. epidemic yeah. where... If we throw out a literal snake, I, you know, I used to get so upset when people were like, you think a talking snake talked to a, guy, a woman and she ate an apple, you're a fucking idiot, you know what I mean? Like, and, or, or more yeah. commonly, you think there's the Burger King king in the sky with a big white beard and sitting down, and then you humiliate the believer, and then people like me go like, but there is, as Rob would say, this hum in me that that yearns mm. and believes and feels like I'm saturated in something holy and sacred and mysterious. But as soon as I take that thought and bring it to my language center and start saying like, well, uh, God put us in a garden and gave mm. us a rule and suddenly I sound like an idiot. But how do we, you know, this is what we're talking uh, about. This is one of the things you do for me. Well, thank you. <laughs> You've got to start there, though, and... Perhaps you heard me say, you've also got to react against it. Mm-hmm. But that's the second stage. I call it, first you construct yourself, then you must deconstruct. Conservatives get trapped at the first stage, constant construction of their ego identity. Liberals get trapped at the second stage, constantly deconstructing everything and thinking that makes them smart. <laughs> and and uh, the mystic goes through the necessary deconstruction. They are not naive. That's they, right. They faced evil. They faced the rational and seen its limitations, and they go into reconstruction, all right? Mm-hmm. That would be the level that I want to teach from. And it, it, that's third-way thinking, you know, what we call. That's enlightenment thinking. Third-eye. Third-eye thinking. You, you can use any of those metaphors you right. want to try to describe it. It's not it's the It's right there. It's yeah. right there. I know. I'm sorry. It's I just really get so well, excited. Thank it's you for right being there. <laughs> the third eye. We're always like, oh, it's your pineal gland. It's your dream eye. No, it's a third way of seeing that's things right, that's, that's right. beyond mm. true and untrue. Yeah. Beyond being and non-being. Yeah. So it, it but it, it, it includes both construction and deconstruction. That's right. Yes, yes, and more. People see yes, faith yes, as going yeah. like, I'm going to ignore the deconstruction. That's Whereas I think people like you need delight right. in going that's like, right. oh, you want to talk about the God you don't believe in? I don't believe in that one either. Oh, that's good. one of Rob's good things. Very good. Like, then it is. He loves right. kicking it with atheists because it's like, no one believes <laughs> No that. one believes that. You did the work. That's why I say oh. talk to me in five years. If you're going to continue mm-hmm. 
to grow, and, yeah. and if that is one of your interests. They're shooting down straw men most of They take infantile religion and think they're real smart by putting it down, and you say, God, I left that That's right. 40 years ago. That's right. <laughs> Unfortunately, the people, though, and again, yeah. I'm, I am... I'm not ashamed of saying this. I'm trying to be enlightened, so I don't want to look down at where I was. You know, at good, where the people, yeah, good. that's one of the things I learned. All right. So transcend, but include. Transcend and include. So I'm trying to transcend and include, but I do. I'm not there yet because I look back on the people that no, I grew I think up you with are without knowing. It. <laughs> go ahead. Go that's ahead. That's very kind of you. No, it's true. But the people that hold on to those straw men and defend them, and they're very, they tend to be very vocal. These are the people that are protesting, and these are the people that hate fags. You know what I mean? I, I'm not using it's that all word. Oppositional, I'm saying, oh, I know. You know what I'm referencing? Oppositional thinking. Yeah. It's just see, oppositional thinking gives the ego a false sense of superiority that right. I have spotted the phony, I have spotted the lie. Yeah. And it's just another. That's where you can be a rigid thinker on the left. Just as much as a rigid, dualistic thinker on the right. Right. But we've identified it just with people on the right, the conservatives. Right. And that's that's too easy. People get no. upset, though, when you start shining the light on on the other yeah. side. Nobody nobody likes it. Nobody wants to be exposed, of course. Me neither. I know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what, what does it mean when we start using that third eye, and that inclusive third way? You talked about a ceiling. Yeah. You talked about doing the work. Yeah. That... Uh, you stop dismissing things too quickly or labeling them too quickly. Basically, in the most simple terms, you let reality, a person, an event, approach you as it is without your damn analysis. <laughs> it is what it is what it is. Don't categorize it up or down, in or out, for me or against me. Yeah. Does it please me? Does it not please me? Yeah. You know, perhaps you heard me uh, say... I was reading it this morning. I'm reading the Hindu classic, I mean, 2,000 years before Christ, the Bhagavad Gita. I can never say it, but it's hard to say. Bhagavad Gita. And, uh, you know, it just said, you must move beyond aversion or attraction. Both of them become attachments. I hate this or... I'm absolutely in love. Then you have to defend those positions, why this is perfect and worthy of love or why this is terrible and worthy of hate. It sounds like romantic. Yeah. It sounds like modern yeah. romantic love, well, isn't, which is why heartbreak is so prevalent, I think, because we go, I am in love with you because you're perfect, perfect. today. And then you know you've got to go through deconstruction. That's very good. You have to see yeah. them as they are. It yeah. has to be mm-hmm. non-conditional. That's very good. And that was mm-hmm. one of the big lessons in my life, Is also with breakups. You don't have to hate someone to break up with them. Uh-huh. That's something that comes up time and time again. I grew up, I went through several breakups and a divorce going, oh, you have to hate someone to break up with them. No, you see, don't. See, yeah. Your brain yeah. loves to go black-white. This yeah. is why racism is so popular, yeah. dare yeah. I say, because it's comforting to go us and them, our clan, Red Sox, That's right. Yankees. And if you criticize something, the assumption is, I mean, like Obama has pointed out some mistakes America's made in his history, and the other side just goes ballistic. Yeah. Ballistic, you yeah. know, that's actually a sign of an enlightened person that you can criticize your own thing. But when you're a dualistic thinker, you either accept the party line 100% or you're against me. Well, you talked about... Oh, yeah, you see where that's leading us. It's just impossible politics. Another heartbreak, yeah, another yeah, type it, of heartbreak. Yeah, another level. Dualistic thinking destroys everything. It, <laughs> it basically isn't, it isn't seeing. It isn't seeing, it's choosing. Yes. Yeah. It's asserting the self against the moment. That's right. Whereas the contemplative mind, which for me is the the non-dual mind, 
it stops all its damn analysis and judgments and lets the moment be what it is without me categorizing it. I do this in cabs, trying to be, he's snapping his gum or whatever, like, you, like, whenever I'm trying to calm myself down, I'm trying to look at what it is that I would prefer be happening, and then accept, this is an Eckhart Tolle thing, accept what's happening as if you chose it. Oh, and wow. that, that's actually quite calming. That's the sacrament of the present moment, is in terms of old Catholic language. Yeah, yeah. please. That's beautiful. Uh, it just it gets you nowhere, because uh, every time you set up an expectation in your mind, it's a resentment waiting to happen, because it isn't going to be that way. Right. This weekend's going to be this way. I'm going to have the perfect hotel room, I'm going to be by the mm-hmm. beach, or whatever it might be. And then when it doesn't work out, you're upset for two hours. That's right. Know? Yeah. And that's postponing and your happiness, which is another good. terrible thing. That you do. I'll good. be happy. I always do this when? example. When the plane lands, when I'm in the cab, when I'm at home, when I shower... You're robbing yourself. I'm a big moment guy. I, I feel a little stupid that I haven't read your book, which is called something with the now. The Naked Now. The Naked Now. It's the next on the list because I was like, I didn't know if you wrote. See, that's this. the one that teaches non-dual the best. The Naked. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, everyone I'm listening, think you like it. That that sort of your brain's delight in going. My joy is 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 unlocked when I have sex or I eat food or I get this award. But all the Jim Carrey. Millionaire, famous, uh, big mystical guy too is is like I wish everybody could have all their dreams come true so they could realize that's not the answer. Wow, isn't that good? Does he say that? Isn't that's, that good? That's powerful, sure, sure. When I think about Christ saying uh, the the camel through the needle's eye, sort yeah. of thing, I'm like, no, I think I get that. I used to think when I was a kid, I was like, rich people can't go to heaven because they're evil. I was like, no, attached people can't get to enlightenment because they're holding on to their bidets. Mm, right? Bidet. <laughs> I have a bidet. I love it. <laughs> That's, I, you, you understand, Pete. That's marvelous. Oh, yeah, thank good, you. Good, good, good. I wonder, you made me think of the A Course in Miracles, which I haven't even read. Uh-huh. But I started doing the exercises, then uh-huh. I gave up on it because, I don't know. Who knows why we do things sometimes. But he said, the beginning of that book is, when I see a table, I don't see a table. I see my memory of a table. I see my associations with a table. You're talking about how you see tall and make a judgment. Or you see short and make a judgment. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting to me that that uh, is in line, it seems to be in line with your thinking, that your brain is just this mess that's throwing you all this past and history and and robbing you of the moment. Robbing you of the moment. It's, uh, it's, you know, this is so... Simple when you finally get it. It's hidden in plain sight. That's and, and yet, how, why is it so hard to teach what's hidden in plain sight? You think it would be normal to live right now. Yeah. But we don't. Yeah. And uh, apparently you've read, read Tolle, you know, the mind can do two things. Worry about the future and endlessly reprocess the past. Yep. Over and over again. And neither of them make you happy. You're not happy, and then you're doing that. That's right. Whereas when you can just look at this little lizard right in front of you, that little geranium, and and say, why is that there? And that's there just for my eye to see. (laughs) All of life becomes gratuitous joy. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Well, we talk about the bubbling bliss and ecstasy that these mystics seem to Mm -hmm. be 
participating in. When you uh, you made me think of something that Deepak says, which is we are the eye. He might it might not be his idea. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. We are the eyes of the universe observing itself, sort of yeah. thing. So when you are on a plane, I fly a lot. Yeah, I get for 45 <laughs> years. Now I don't so much anymore. So I know what it's I'm like. I'm happy. Oh, yeah. So I have to do a lot of this sort of practical mysticism on airplanes. So I'm looking out the window, and I look around, and nobody else is looking out the window. And I'm not saying, oh, good mm-hmm. on me for looking out the window. Mm-hmm. But I just realized I'm really the only one that's looking at this cloud right now. Oh, so you've had that. Boom. Yeah. Hey, excellent. Isn't that excellent. good? Yeah, it is. I want to tell these that, people about it. That's the experience. That's, yeah. the, that's the thing that uh, can slow the world down and suddenly... It's not visual, though. Your, your brain wants to go, you see detail. Really, mm-hmm. it's more visceral. It's more feeling of a thing, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it, it will come across on the feeling level, maybe the gut level, and not... The, the rational mind isn't pleased by that. No. Uh, it isn't interested in that, you see. Right. That's why it's so limited. Right. Whatever it cannot label or analyze it is not interested in and goes so far in its arrogance to call it untrue then. Yeah. Because it cannot categorize it. And these are the people, since the Enlightenment, who have been the, the intellectual elite of the Western world. Right. And again, I don't want to put them down because they gave us science and medicine. Right. I'm all for it. So maybe I should add this at this point that the appreciation of non-dual thinking does not eliminate dualistic thinking or I'd be dualistic. Right. Yeah. (laughs) No, dualistic thinking is good or necessary for you to get here to visit me today. You had to turn left, right. You had to use your brain and, and so forth. But... Okay, that gets you through the ordinary workaday world. But when you hit what I call the big five, yeah. love, death, suffering, any notion of infinity, or any honest notion of God. Mm. When I wrote The Naked Now, I said those were the five that are above the ceiling. The, mo- the rational mind closes down. You can't process love. Mm. You can't process suffering, which is why so many people become unbelievers when they uh, they suffer, or so anybody irrationally suffers. Mm-hmm. But uh, since I wrote the book, I would now add sex. I really think sex is not rational, not <laughs> in the least, you know. And yet, well, human beings live and die for it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I think that's the burden of the comedian. Uh, we see maybe more than the next person. I don't know. I'll speak for myself that like sex is absurd. Even sometimes when I'm having it, I'm like, this is absurd. <laughs> yeah, we all know you're it not is. The first one to say that too. <laughs> In fact, every comedian at some point in his career will write the sex is absurd joke. No and every kidding. other and some other comedian will pull him aside and go, Norm MacDonald did that, or somebody else did it. Because someone's always doing it. Because that's one of our jobs is to go yeah. like I have a bit right now, a joke, about um, how sleep is preposterous. Why do we need to sleep? It doesn't make any sense. Like, food is energy, but, like, why do we need to shut it down? So it's just kind of like looking at things that we're all doing. It's wonderful. And making everybody laugh. Yeah. It's such a, it's a, it is a wonderful feeling. Yeah. Um, you were talking about your mind seeing things and having these transcendent moments that it doesn't know what to do with. No. When, when you talk about epiphanies or road to Damascus kind of things, as yes. soon as you verbalize them, they've lost their shimmer completely. That's fair. Largely true. Right. Largely true. Sometimes I think that's not. why a lot of clergy, without realizing it, become rather cynical. Mm. Because our job is every Sunday to verbalize it all. Do you know? And to make sense out of it for the so congregants. It, and, and we become sort of superficial very often ourselves. It breaks my heart. That's a hard job. I get the pastor that starts phoning it in and, and doing the Sermon on the Mount 
twice a month <laughs> or whatever it is. I get that yeah, because yeah. it's it's heartbreaking to yeah. try. I lose my interest in it, but I'm allowed to. It's not my job. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> but if we don't find some way to, to discover the contemplative moment, I have seen, I'm going to go so far as to say, over 50% of clergy are cynical mm-hmm. right? by the middle of their journey. It's just... I believe that. Yeah. Science Mike, this guy, uh, Rob's friend, came on the podcast, and, and he was, uh, uh, I forget what denomination he was, but he was a preacher, and he lost his faith, and it ruined his marriage, and uh, they're still married, they're together, they yeah. work through it or whatever, and now he's this, like, what I say, Christ-leaning, you know what I mean? He's, sure, sure. You like it's to say, phrase. you're on the edge of the inside. The edge of the inside. Edge uh, of the inside, which I think yeah. is a better phrase, yeah. to be honest. People like that phrase for some reason. Because <laughs> nobody wants to talk to a fundamentalist, to be honest. Nobody, you said something brilliant about uh, the Bible being the only book that includes the prophets, and the prophets, I'm, I'm, you know, saying what you said, have been reduced to, oh, Isaiah predicted Christ. Yeah. But you said, do you remember what you said? Yeah, the, the real genius of the prophets is the inclusion of the negative, that the Jewish people had the courage, the chutzpah, I guess you would say, to include in their sacred scriptures one-third of them that tell them that they're full of shit. You know, <laughs> Now, I mean, the prophets are just telling the Jewish people, you're phonies. Yeah. Well, I'm not trying to be anti-Jewish. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's in their own scripture. And, of course, Jesus says the same things to would-be Christians. Right. You don't believe a word you're saying. You right. Yeah. That's right. Without the self-critical aspect of religion, I'm going to make a, a strong statement, but when religion does not develop the prophetic or self-critical function at the core of its message... It is always idolatrous. It will always worship itself. Yes. And Christianity is for the sake of Christianity, not for the sake of healing the world. Judaism is for the sake of Judaism, not for the sake of loving the world. Every religion goes there. Of course. You know? It's so pleasant. It's yeah. the country club. It's the country club. You That's go, it. and you, it's yeah. your community, yeah. and you have yeah. the truth, and they don't have the truth. There you go. And this is what, and should, make all of my listeners you know, stomach's turn is because it's, it's, it's not interesting. It's not compelling, No. but, but truth and mystery and wonder and trans rationality and third way thinking is the most interesting most, thing. Yeah. Mystery is not that which is not knowable. Mystery is that, that which is endlessly knowable <laughs> that you can, Oh, another level. Oh, another level. That's right. Another level. That's you right. see, yeah. Why we took mm. my question? One of my questions for you is why the Bible, why Jesus, why religion? And to to start with that, it's like these stories. I'll just put that. Go ahead. We'll start. With, which one should we start with? Uh, why? Why? I guess we'll start with why. Why Jesus? Because if we are, you grew up here in America. Yes. Yes. And you were given this faith. Yes. Yet you hold on to it, and and you yeah. have done the deconstructing. Yeah. You talk about the Bhagavad Gita. 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 We just call it Gita for short. The Gita. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You read the Gita. But so you, I know you're a man that would go like, yeah, if I grew up in India, I'd be a Hindu. I'd be a Hindu. Yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Do you realize if I grew up you're in Israel? I'd be a Jew. Yes. You know, yeah. You're a minority. My pastor of my church can't see say that. that. He would say the heavens proclaim the glory of the Lord, and I would have converted. I would have converted. Uh, of course I would, uh, because the moment screams Jesus. The wind whispers Jesus. Uh, Does see. it? Does it? <laughs> I say, I say no. But here you are. So what is yeah. it about the Christ story that? Uh, keeps you coming back. What is it hiding in plain sight? Of course, I had the wonderful advantage of being raised in Kansas in the 1940s, 50s. I'm, I'm 72 this week, in fact. Oh, wow. And uh, 
it's it was great to begin with a clear construction Conserv- I began very conservative then uh, I had some wonderful I, don't, I have to call them God experiences as a boy that let me know there's a bigger world than the visible and you know that with absolute assurance this isn't the whole agenda right really you know and I, I didn't see anything or hear anything, but it's just, I don't know how you know these things. That There's more going on here than meets the eye. So it wasn't uh, like a no. tear in the dimension. It was great joy. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's always a sense of deep union with everything, and that, that I'm not apart from that geranium. I'm not apart from that lizard that I yeah. keep referring to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... it's and, and yet, you know, you will never be able to prove that to anybody. Right. And the great, I'm not apart from God, which is the right. way we believers would talk. Right? But then I was lucky enough to join the Franciscans as a young man. And in the 19, late 50s, early 60s, well, all through the 60s, they gave me a really marvelous education of philosophy and theology. And one of the good things about the Catholic system, I know we have our faults, plenty of them, but... You were not given the, the word of God, the scriptures, till you learned how to think. Hmm. Uh, you put the scriptures <laughs> in the hand of people who don't know how to use their brain and recognize their own biases and their own agenda and their own ego. It's lethal. Yes. It's lethal. I feel like that's all we do. Oh, if I can shit on the Protestants, it's an, um, you get the Bible right away. It's the weakness of the <laughs> Protestant tradition. We were required to have four years of philosophy before... We I'm began, so surprised. We I began. would have guessed that your story was that you broke away. You were little Richie Rohr no, sneaking no. <laughs> out. You're no. saying you got this from the church. Oh, oh, I yeah. love it. Well, remember, in the Catholic Church, the only reason the Catholic Church survived structurally, you <laughs> picture it as a big pyramid of Pope, cardinals, archbishops, very patriarchal, and it is. But if you look already, in, as soon as we align with Constantine and Empire in the 4th century, what happens immediately is people go out into the deserts of Palestine and Egypt and disaffiliate with this imperial institution. Mm. Now that became the birth of what we now call religious life. You would know them as Benedictines, Carmelites, Dominicans, Sisters of Mercy, Sisters of Charity. They're, we're always parachurch. We're always on the edge and that structurally has given the Catholic Church a whole bunch of wiggle room. Mm. Because we're not really, I, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but until Pope Francis, you know, most of us didn't quote the Pope that much. It, <laughs> we're, our, our, we don't care about the bishops that much. Yeah. And it's not that we're against them, it's just our hero is St. Francis, I'm a Franciscan. You yeah. know? He's concerned about the gospel, not churchiness. Do you understand? Yeah, 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 I do. So it's parallel. So we had this whole tradition of para-church religious life. So I was educated not to be a parish priest. In fact, Francis didn't even want us to be priests because they knew then you'd have to speak the party line and be a mm-hmm. company man. Yeah. So when I talked yeah, yeah. with Rob, I was like, the burden of being in the truth business. That's and in my right. church, as That's soon as right. you have elders, I believe that my pastor mm-hmm. in Boston, and I say that, but he just pastors the church I went to, has to be pro-gay in his core. But if he said that, out. That's the good example. Right? That's a good example. A whole bunch of things you're not allowed to think or feel or know. That's why we become cynics in the middle of life. Because you know it's not true after a while. Of course. But it will create so much hate mail on Monday morning. And again, it's not just from the top, it's from the people. Yeah. The people want you to speak the party You said that funny thing about you'll never get a more scathing letter than from somebody in your congregation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Forget the... 
keep you in line. Just Wait, tell uh, me what I already agree with. Don't you move me into new territory. Yeah. <laughs> or don't even share your doubts or your three-dimensionality. Right. Become right. Mickey Mouse and there this is the Magic Kingdom. And that, that's, of course it's horseshit. So every comedian that comes on that says yeah. he's an atheist, I know he's talking about that's right. this. That's right. And I celebrate that's right. it. That's yeah. beautiful. Well, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. And uh, you've come to that play- place where... I can see that without getting hateful and angry myself. Do you understand? Yeah. That's the trap that we deconstructionists can get into. Yeah. That's why reconstruction is necessary. You've got to move beyond the anger stage, the but you've got to go through the anger stage. That's, that's right. That it's horseshit. That's you know? right. Yeah. Oh. And that, you would say, <laughs> is the suffering part, and that that's is it. the great that's teacher. Right. You've, that's right. You've suffered this loss, this breakup with God, mm-hmm. but then the reconstruction mm-hmm. is, is where the juice is. So to get back to a bit of yeah. my own history, yes, don't you, you didn't distract me from <laughs> Uh, that they gave me this wonderful philosophical theological education through the Franciscan lens, which is an alternative orthodoxy. We were part of the orthodox tradition, but we emphasized different things. Lifestyle itself, loving the poor, uh, nonviolence, things like that. Mm-hmm. Francis stood for all the right things, it seems. Uh, then, after I was ordained a priest in 1970, then I had to in a certain way, grow up backwards. I was, well, maybe it isn't backwards. I was given the, the, the construction, the, the agenda, the education. Then in my 40s and 50s, I had to go through all the inconsistencies, all the paradoxes in the world, in the church, and in myself, and in America. Mm. That, yeah, well, why do we say that? We obviously don't really believe that. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. And why do you, Richard, say things that you really don't believe? Yeah. Is uh-huh. the Bible, like sometimes, I don't know if this is your thought, it could be, Rob and I were talking about it, almost like a metaphor for a human life. If you yes. look at the way the Old Testament yeah. progresses Very good. to the New, right? Very good. Torah, which is construction. Prophets, which is deconstruction. Mm. The wisdom literature may be exemplified. I'm looking at the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, even though I'm a Christian, that they are my parents. I, I'm yeah. very pro-Jewish. Yeah. I got a wonderful education in the Hebrew scriptures. The book of Job, the book of Ecclesiastes, and many of the Song of Songs, and many of the Psalms, not all of them, are reconstruction. Having gone through the hell coming out and rediscovering integration and freedom and forgiveness, mm-hmm. you see. Mm-hmm. Although the book of Job just comes to a dead end. It doesn't know what to do with all this absurdity. Right. But he doesn't turn bitter. That's the genius of Job. So Job, for me, is the, the summits, the denouement of the Hebrew Scriptures that it doesn't have an answer for, unjust suffering. Mm. Now, as a Christian, I would say, then Jesus comes along and resolves it by accepting it. By accepting by becoming it, becoming by merging, it's even it. better. Yeah, he merges with it. And with he, it. That's yeah. why you know I'm walking in and I see the Catholic cross still has Jesus on it. That's yeah. a big difference, I guess. Yeah. I've noticed between our faiths or whatever you want to call it, yeah. our traditions, denominations, we, our denominations yeah. that we came up through. But now I see it, and I'm like, he should be up there. Yeah, yeah. That's the point, because that's where we're we like, get. he rose and he's partying in heaven yeah. now. You're saying no, he's up there saying me too. He's saying, I'm totally in solidarity with every act of human suffering and tragedy and abuse that's ever happened. Yeah. God is with you in it, and I promise you the outcome is good. Right. <laughs> uh, so we do need to gaze upon the one we have pierced. 
so I, I would be Catholic in that regard. I, I mean, I obviously believe in the resurrection, but it's the cross that that kills most people. That right. makes them cynical, bitter, hateful themselves. Why is that? Well, because we don't have an answer for suffering, you know. Right. So the only Christian answer is God's solidarity with it. See, what the soul needs is not answers. The soul needs meaning. And those, when you gaze upon Jesus' identification with every act of human suffering that ever happened, that's deep meaning, mm. deep meaning, mm. you know, that somehow, not just somehow, but profoundly heals, profoundly, mm. you know, mm-hmm. that, uh, okay, he doesn't hate back. You heard me say yesterday, Jesus does the victim thing right. He neither plays the victim for his own aggrandizement, nor does he create victims of anybody else. Mm. You've got to know how rare that is. Mm -hmm. The normal life agenda is to create victims of other people and to play the victim yourself to get pity and sympathy and power and money. We call it a litigious society, you know. (laughs) Sue other people to prove what a victim I am. And then vengeance, he pointed out. Well, it leads to violence and vengeance. You said, I had never heard this of all my study, I'm 35, you said something I never heard, which was there's not one call for vengeance. They killed our our guy, and, we did. and there wasn't one verse that says in Let's the New get Testament, them. not one. There's not even that's what Rene Girard says. This is untold in literature. Yeah. This doesn't happen. That's what makes that story no. unique. That kind of answer is uh-huh. that we're, now we're partially answering the why Jesus question. The why? Yeah, that's Jesus what, is a phenomenon in human history. For, yeah. for someone two thousand years ago to not buy what we call the myth of redemptive violence that. Killing back, hating back will solve things. Mm-hmm. That's the storyline of most novels, most operas, most movies that you and I have ever seen. John Wayne shoots the yeah, It's That's always the same storyline. we got to get him. You'd think we'd be bored by it by now. It's so boring. No, we love it. And we love it. <laughs> we love it. It's it literally so- a movie called Unforgiven. Like, we're oh. more interested in unforgiveness yeah. than forgiveness. It I, makes a better film. That was one I was thinking of. Is actually, that right? I, as the classic myth of redemptive violence. Yeah. So Jesus turns around the storyline of human history, which is the myth of redemptive violence. Violence will redeem the world Mm -hmm. uh, and get rid of evil. To the myth, although I don't believe it's a myth now in the way we use the word myth, uh, the story of redemptive suffering. That solidarity with it, communion with it, in fact, is a new storyline and a new storyline for history. And 2,000 years after Jesus, i got to be honest about my own uh, denomination or religion, uh, it really hasn't largely got the point. It's, it's a minority position inside of Christianity. To get that idea. Oh, uh, yeah. And the irony is it was people like Gandhi, again, a Hindu, and it, who said, Jesus taught me this. Yeah. You know? He becomes the spokesperson. Uh, yeah. Somebody in a completely An different An outsider way. who could read the, the Christian Bible well, with some freshness and that's, freedom. That's what... Christians can't do. Joseph Campbell says, "Read other faiths because you read them without the burden of literal Mm -hmm. truth, and you might you get a chance at understanding." That's what the Gita is doing for me right now. It's the first time in my life I've read it. Boom! Ironic that I'm reading it this week. I said, "My God, this is brilliant! This is brilliant! This is this is not all saying the same stuff." Now I'm with you. I I like to think that I'm past my deconstructing position. You are. You are. But the people listening might not be. Uh So allow me these questions. Sure, anything. to me, I would say that Christ is is an enlightened person. He's a, he's he woke up. He's a uh, okay. in touch with God. I understand that right. he woke up to his divinity and all that sort of stuff. The people listening, I have to think, are wondering: 
do you need Jesus to be saved? Is Gandhi in hell? That sort of thing? No. Of course not. <laughs> of course not. I don't. I, that's not my question. I'm trying to, I'm trying to represent. You know, uh, the normal paths of transformation are great love and great suffering, and those have been available to people since the beginning of human the human species. You know, that gives leads you into divine union. Right? It's a natural process of living. If you surrender to it, trust it, allow it, and learn from it. You, you get see? divine meaning. Yeah, yes. And you find people who've taken the, the, the way of the cross, if you will, the way of great love and great suffering, in every religion. That's what it means to believe in the Christ, to use our language. Please. They don't have to use the word Christ, you know. Jesus himself says that. There will be many who will say the right word, Lord, Lord. You know, but not do it. Mm. And what pleases my Father in heaven are those who do it, those who walk the journey. Mm. And I've met, well, uh, keep bringing up India, uh, but other parts of the world too, Hindu women in India living self-sacrificial lives for their five children, complete lives of love and suffering. And I'm supposed to say they're not enlightened? They don't know the Christ mystery? Come on! You're going to enjoy that. Who got, gave me the Bhagavad Gita is, was a monk in Santa Monica, and I had oh. this wonderful talk oh. with him. And he told me uh, that Christians would come up to him and would uh, argue with him. Yeah. And I, I just came up to him, and I was just like, how is this? You know, I, I didn't want to argue. Sure. I don't have anything to argue with him about. No, you don't. But I got really, in, a, in the fun way, not the bitter, angry, wrong way, or whatever you want to say, I get really angry. Rob and I are floating on surfboards out here, and I'm saying, these hobbyists, these recreational spiritual people who, for wow. 45 minutes on a That's Sunday... That's not a bad term. I go, this, <laughs> I go, this man is praying without ceasing. Yes. All he does yes. is look yes. at the lizard, as yeah, you say. Yeah, yes. All he does is live in the moment, or tries. Mm-hmm. And these people come up and say, you're not claiming my God, you're not using the right words, but he's, he's doing it. And that, that is again where I join people and say, he didn't say the magical prayer. He's not praying to Jesus, he's He's inside He's of him. Living He's living the Christ li- mystery. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, we're just so, you know, literalism yeah. is the lowest level of meaning. It's the least fruitful interpretation of a moment. Yes, right? yes. You know, and after the enlightenment and the historical method that we evolved into, you know, all of previous history taught truth through myth and story, and everybody knew it wasn't true. Right. Literally. All the Buddhas leading up we, to... We went yeah. backwards. Yeah, yeah. That's why Jesus said, I only teach in parables, almost to free us from fundamentalism. A parable is a story yeah. that everybody in, who was listening to knew it was a story. <laughs> and then, right. you know, forgive me, but uh, people from the southern United States, where it largely came from, come along and decide, no, it's literally true. Right. They set history back a thousand years. by the. Yeah. It's pure ignorance. God said it, I believe it, that doesn't. Yeah, right? pure ignorance. They, they don't know how, they should need to take a, a course in literature 101. Yeah. 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 Literature 101. Because yeah. they're the things yeah. that are unknowable. Yeah, of course. Uh, and, and we know that, but I am, I'm 35 years old and I just kind of found this out. So as, as, as weird as that might seem, there's just no, so many people normal. around <laughs> that I'm like, where was the part of church or Sunday school or just casual conversation? Where was the person that said, 
When I say that's a myth, I don't say that's not true. I that's say that's right. a myth because it's truer than literally yeah, true. Yes, yes, it's what? very true. It's always true. It's always <laughs> true. And then uh, what did you say? It's it's infinitely true or always uh, 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 endless level of meaning. Yeah, you can, another level, another level, another level. But then we homogenized it and pasteurized it good word. into good word. Yeah. Uh, afterlife insurance, which is what I often say. Yeah. Like, Evacuation plan for the next world. Right. That's what we made the gospel. What a waste of time. And the least compelling story there's least ever compelling. been. <laughs> and the, the thing, it's all disguised self-interest. Yeah. That's why you can be a Christian and still be racist and selfish. Yeah. Because your entrance point was already well-denied self-interest, just delayed gratification. <laughs> what's, what's altruistic? What's heroic about delayed gratification? Yeah, you know, yeah. That the one with the most willpower wins, you know? Right. Uh, why would... The, uh, love doesn't even have to enter the scene. It's all about love. Right. And if you don't encounter love and fall into the mystery of love now, you're not anywhere near enlightened. You can believe in the Lord Jesus all you want. Right. And I say this after 45 years as a priest, and not love anybody or anything. <laughs> yeah, but I believe in the Lord Jesus, and then you're good. Yeah, but that's that self preservation. Self, yeah, it yeah, goes back yeah, to the yeah. pleasure of labeling things. Yeah, it's like yeah, I'm a believer, you and you're there not. You go. There and that's good recreational mm. fun. I honestly, I, I don't mean to put down sports. Everybody listening knows I'm not a sports fan, but that is part of that clan sort of that's like right. it's us. That's fun. We like it. It's the, junior high. Where the, the cool win kids. lose scenario especially appeals to males, all right? Yeah. If you can frame anything in terms of the contest, yeah. most men will say, I'm in, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I, as you perhaps heard me say the other day, is it any accident that it was males preaching the gospel till the last 30 years? Mm. It was an exclusive domain of males. Right. So we took the great good news, announcing freedom and life and joy, present tense, for the world, and we made it into a giant win-lose contest, at which, by our own descriptions, almost everybody lost. <laughs> now, why anybody would why buy that... Path? What, why is this yeah. hope for the world? Yeah. Good news for it's the world. not good news. It's bad news. I need so many people that know the good news to scream that that's not good news not as, good, as possible. Good news at all. And when we talk about uh, heaven, again, I'm somewhat representing. Yeah. I know that this one can die. That's fine. Oh, this okay. one's telling me it's going to die. Okay. That's which is fine. Oh, I see. Sure. We've got, got, we've got two others. Go. I'm triple backing this. <laughs> uh, I'm just, you're a rock star to me. I'm just excited. Oh, but the idea is, uh, the idea of heaven, obviously, when we're, when we're trying to get rid of these old afterlife insurance, evacuation yes. plan thinking, it becomes so much more compelling when you think of Christ and Christ consciousness and cosmic Christ and all these things. Not as like the party on the cloud when you die, but something that you can merge with and should be merging with. You've just forgotten how to merge with you, in every moment of every day. Yeah. Either it's now or uh, it's not enlightenment. Yeah. If it's something you have to build up to work for, you can't get there. You can only be there. Now, I'm not just playing with words. You can't get there. Yeah. It's, it's a matter of surrendering to the fullness. And I know if you have never tasted that, 
maybe the listener here will say, oh, that's gobbledygook. What's he talking about? You know? Right. And the wonderful thing is they could fall into it right now, not by being obeying commandments or going to church services right. or anything. Isn't, Go ahead. Yep. I was just going to say, I'm convinced, Pete, that we clergy have an unconscious but vested interest in not teaching people true unitive consciousness or contemplation, as I call it, yeah. because, frankly, it makes our job unnecessary. That's you right. See? That's right. Yeah, You're putting is, yourself out of a job. Out of a job. This is all... When you say it's in you. Yeah, job job security. We want you to keep coming back keep Sunday begging. morning. Keep your hand up. Yeah, to get, and I'm fine with church. I have mass. I'm a good priest. Right. But we've made it into a business yeah. whereby we need the people to keep relying upon us. Right. Now, I love people who, like you would be one of them, who said, you know, I don't need to do this but hey now this makes sense this is sort of beautiful that's the quote that i quote you on this podcast all the time i say communion and church are you remember this dress rehearsals for the real thing which is constant communion constant communion yeah constant communion. you can pray all the time you don't need to go to church yeah oh that's right you can live in conscious loving union all the time when you're doing whatever you're doing going to the bathroom, taking a shower, walking the beach, in conscious loving union, that is the core meaning of prayer. You are praying. Right. It's not saying words. But we thought prayer became a grocery list of desires. That's right. And then you said, this is something you said this weekend, that the idea of constantly praying is constant awareness, constant being in the moment. uh, Who was the the priest that used to peel potatoes and people would come watch him peel potatoes? Oh, Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was so in the moment that watching him peel a potato became a spectator sport. But that's what what we're talking about. And uh, Ram Dass wrote about when you're uh, uh, what is it sweeping a step Not that like being completely thing. in that moment yes, yes. this is why monks and stuff walk around sweeping you and get a lot of it that's beautiful <laughs> training dogs and uh, stuff you know Brother Lawrence that, that little book The Practice of the Presence of God was the one contemplative book that for some reason he was a French Carmelite in the 17th century I think and mm. was the one contemplative book that Protestants read it's very interesting. And I was always <laughs> well. Uh, Rob told me. Why? Oh, I see. Uh, but I met many. They said we read that. Yeah, my mom read yeah, it. Yeah, it was uh, somehow acceptable. Yeah. But the fact that they found it so attractive uh, is very important because I think it was a missing piece mm. in the Protestant tradition. Mm-hmm. This older understanding of living in the now. But that's uh, the that's mm-hmm. the thing that's so interesting to me is uh, Christians are one of the least compelling groups. <laughs> Uh, At this point in history, it's just true. It's absolutely true. And I'm so glad you can agree with me. Of course you can. You can say whatever you want. (laughs) But it's it's the idea that uh, the message, uh, the the moment, the the truth of it is, is the most compelling thing in the world. We've just somehow... It's been ruined a little bit. It's been turned into something that it's not. But when you start really talking about the juice of it, people get really, really excited. That's it. I mean, uh, well, you, you heard me say that on Oprah, perhaps. Religion is the best thing in the world, and it's the worst thing in the world. <laughs> At the lower levels, it would be better if you didn't have it. it it's so silly. Right. But yeah. At the higher levels, it's the pearl of great price. Well, let's, <laughs> let's talk about that. You yeah. talk about the necessity of, uh, you said this great thing about how if you're teaching horny 15, 16-year-old yeah. boys, give them some law. Uh, yeah. Then let them, go, let them go through the metaphor of the Bible. Let them grow and yes. change and yes. shift. Because when you, I'm grateful that I grew up 
with faith. It made me interested in, uh, with the church, interested in certain things, and it kind of planted... I used to be resentful about the old man in the sky, but then I was like, no, that was just the gateway right. to starting to understand right. the omnipresence. It of gave God. you an open door that is pretty good. Right. Yeah, yeah, and it. then, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear you speak on this, so we're, t- we're, we're dealing with these childish sort of ways of understanding ununderstandable things, but we have our uh, talking snake, and we have our God on a, th- on a throne, and then we hit suffering. Ooh, that's some good stuff. Mm-hmm. You said suffering is the greatest teacher. And it really is. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm, they, tell them about that. I know about <laughs> yeah. that. You tell them. Well, see, well, let me give you my simple, simplistic, probably, definition of suffering. You're suffering whenever you're not in control. Whenever you're not getting your own way. A red light, you're suffering for 30 seconds, right? (laughs) See, people can identify with that. I'm not just talking about lying on a bed of nails in great agony. Uh, We're talking about the only way you're going to give up control of your ship, you're not going to do it voluntarily. It has to be taken from you. That's no one a, wants to wake up. That's the first yeah, step to waking yeah, up. Yeah, no, I don't want to. I don't want to. No. So control is taken from you. Yeah. So that's why uh, some form of suffering is necessary to teach you surrender, opening your lens. You won't open it otherwise. You'll just keep rigidly pushing the river as if you could push the river mm. instead of lying in the river and doing the back float, you know. <laughs> uh, so it, it's the the ultimate course correction. You see, even though it isn't pleasant, I admit I don't seek suffering. Mm-hmm. But you know, the Buddha says, as Jesus does too, suffering is part of the deal. It's it, you know, it's I don't know why I don't know why God constructed the world this way, but human beings sooner or later don't get their own way, right? right? Sometimes in tragic, tragic, sad ways. But I think all of the mystics of of Islam, the Sufis, you know, the Jewish mystics, the the Buddhists, uh, the Hindu mystics, of whom there are many, and the Catholic Christian mystics, of whom there are many, they all agree on this point. But you only know it in the second half of life when you look back, what were the great moments where I transformed, where I changed, where I got it, Mm -hmm. where I fell into something bigger? It was always the fruit of suffering, Mm -hmm. you know? Yes. Yeah. It almost, I, these are weird thought experiments, but it almost seems like we came from, let's say we came, just as an, ex, it doesn't need to be literally true. It's a story. Sure. What if we came from a place of perfect union with God? So we're floating around in this sort of ethereal yeah. swirl. Yeah. And then we came here to suffer because of what suffering would teach us about that we couldn't learn wow. from a perfect place. Kind of like the Garden of Eden. I, see... Love is not possible. I'm going to build on what you just truthfully said. Love is not possible except in the realm of freedom. Uh, Once you have robots, you don't have love anymore. You you just have programming. Siri does not care about you. (laughs) Your phone does not love you. (laughs) So without freedom, and that's why any religion of obligation, duress, social pressure, threatening with hell is never going to create loving people. Never. Mm. You cannot lead people to love through duress <laughs> and compliance. You will do this. Mm. That's different than love. Mm. I don't, you'd think people would see that. 
And yet most religion fell in love with laws, that laws were supposed to get us there. Yeah. But it's actually in breaking the law and then falling into mercy. Mm. You know, Paul says some outrageously wonderful things. One of them, <laughs> uh, Paul is one of my heroes. Yeah. He says, the law was given to us to show us that we can't obey it. <laughs> He's a paradoxical thinker, you know. Yeah. To in assure failure. He's a, this yeah. is in Romans. To assure failure, you know. Uh, now, see, we thought it was something we could actually succeed at. Yeah. When when we're told to forgive our our neighbor seventy times seven, who of us knows how to do that? You yeah. Can't, you'll fail at it the first like day a, you. Tr- I'm a three strike guy. I'm a two strike guy. <laughs> Two's about me like, too. Uh, if someone shows you who they are, believe them, and then I walk away. <laughs> so. Um, now, did I forget our major point we were going toward? Uh, I was talking about the idea of suffering teaching us something about God we can't learn without. It. Yeah. And then you said love is not possible that, without freedom. If it was a perfect world where we were all programmed to love, uh, there would be no drama. There would be no development. Mm-hmm. There would be no truth. It would simply be pro- programming. You know, So to, to create a world where freedom could happen, God had to put us in the realm of choice. So well, the only ones who who get there are those who really want it. But the good news is, that's all you need to do is want it. Mm. It doesn't mean you're worthy of it or obeying commandments to get there. Mm-hmm. Do you really desire love? Those who desire love will have it. It's mm. that simple. Mm. It's that simple. Yeah, <laughs> I love it so much. I, I love that. Well, I love you. that so much. Yeah. I, uh, I I want to put this to you. People have heard me say it before. So I grew up trying to adhere to the law. And sure, I did too. Of course. Yeah, yeah. As, as, it, as, as we should, I guess we you should. might even argue. And a young boy needs impulse control. Yeah, that that's why I was like, mm. oh, I see. There's a place for it. I understood. If I was... Now, you said love and do what thou wilt, sort of thing. Augustine. Augustine. Love God and do what you want. Yeah. St. Augustine, 4th century. <laughs> <laughs> love God and do what you want. Uh, wow. Well, it's... That's it. Yeah, that's yeah, uh, it. Uh-huh. But you told me that when I was fourteen. Who knows what I would have See, been doing? You couldn't. Yeah. No way you could handle that. I couldn't 14. handle it. The reason the law is the necessary beginning point is that the little child, as sweet and adorable as they are, are totally egocentric. Right? right? Yeah. God gave them cute faces, so we'd love them anyway. But they are. It's all about <laughs> me. I mean, but we don't care. Right? We know he's a little six-year-old. It's all about him. He wants his toys. We right. give them to. Him. So law is. Initial training and impulse control. That little boy, as sweet and cute as you are, your little sister has rights, and your mother has rights, and the neighbors have rights. You're not the center of the world. Mm -hmm. That's the function of law, to put limits to your egocentricity. Yes. Yes. And and this has been the disaster of some liberal parenting who, who put no limits to the egocentricity of their children and they're they're training absolute bullies and brats who, yes. who are not going to have happy lives. A comedian friend of mine, Tom Shalhoub, <laughs> who's Catholic, I was like, "Why are you Catholic? I don't understand why you why you hold on to this." And he's like, "I like I like the discipline of it. I like putting a cookie in front of my son and saying you can't have this cookie. Oh, how isn't that funny? And it made me get it. I was like, I understand. Okay, like, <laughs> I, I see his point. The uh, thing I was going to put to you as well was that I so I grew up 
really being like, I don't swear, I don't uh, drink, yeah. I don't do drugs, I don't have sex, all that sort of stuff. Purity I, codes, we call those. Yeah, that, I, I would, that gives the ego a sense of superiority, but especially especially the visible sins. I was not going around bragging about how I don't envy. You know what I mean? Very I good. Like, I haven't knocked anybody up. How about that? <laughs> like you can really see that sin. Uh, quote unquote. But, but then the idea was, uh, I get divorced. This is my falling out story, very brief. I get divorced. Everybody knows that. That's a big part of who I am. And then on the other side, I kind of I lose my faith. A lot of people get divorced and find faith. I lost my faith. Uh, not just because of that, but that's sure. when I really became a, a, a man. And then I started kind of like doing a lot of quote unquote bad things. I have no regrets about anything. I wasn't hurting people. Yeah, yeah. But I, I did you, bad I things. And then all of a sudden I realized I had actual, not pretend, compassion and grace and understanding yeah. for my friends. All of a sudden when you come to me and told me that you had an abortion, that you, that you weren't, you felt weird about, like, whatever, you felt like yeah. you had to do it. I, I loved that person, but for real, mm-hmm. as opposed to pre-falling uh, upwards, I would have been like, oh, God loves you, but I would have been like, <laughs> You're a, a highly sinner, and like yeah. you killed that yeah. thing, and you're you're an asshole, basically. Yeah. But then through sin, quote unquote, <laughs> evil, bad things, drugs, flandering, yeah. sure, sure, sure. drinking, sure. Uh, whatever it was that I did, I, I don't have again any bad feelings about that time. I'm still kind of in that time. Uh, but then it, it opened me up to being more Christ-like. Mm. That's what? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. See, the only thing that's worthy of being called good news, which, as you know, is what the word gospel means, uh, is that if you come to God by doing it right, that just creates a country club of people with a huge superiority complex. Right? Yes. Now, what you lost there after your divorce was your superiority complex. Yes. You see? We come to God not by doing it right. That's bad news. We come to God, surprise of surprises, by doing it wrong. Yes. No one would have suspected that unless gospel people, real gospel people, all know that's true. That's right. Uh, that, yeah. But even the story of Jesus, I mean, that's not pleasant what happened to yeah. him in the story. No, so, no. again, that's hidden in plain sight. We go hidden like, in plain sight. here's the thing. No. It's not a story about a guy eating grapes on a carpet. You know what I mean? He, he's whipped and flogged and it's terrible and he dies. And that's how he got where he was going and that's how he taught us. Yeah. Here's another weird one for our deconstructing friends. Uh, literal Christ? Are we to... Is he showing us through a myth, a story, that we're to die to ourselves and rise to our own divinity? Here's what I ask Bobby B. I go, virgin birth, sinless life, physical death and resurrection. That, those are the questions. I believe, you know, I, is it Ephesians that says he is the new man. We would say the archetypal human. The symbolic stand-in for everything, everybody. That would be my Christian faith. That his divine conception... It, don't talk about it in miraculous terms. Talk about it as a model for. You have a divine conception too. Do you mm-hmm. understand? Mm-hmm. Your 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 DNA is divine. You know, a somewhat ordinary life for thirty years doesn't have anything to say for thirty years. <laughs> the first thirty years are just growing up for all of us. The first half of life, right? I call it in falling upward. Huh? Yeah. Uh, then uh, he goes through. Hostility, betrayal, misunderstanding. Here we Christians name him the most perfect human being who ever lived. You don't have to believe it that way, but that's what the Christian belief would be. And here the most perfect man 
whoever lived, is totally judged to be the problem by church and state. And the, the Passion <laughs> accounts go out of their way to show that it's both Rome and Jerusalem. Uh, and not picking on Judaism, that just mm-hmm. happened to be his religion, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is forever a judgment about how wrong power can be, mm-hmm. about where goodness lies. That highest level government, empire, highest level high priest church can totally miss the point about, <laughs> <laughs> about where goodness lies and where evil lies. This is yeah. monumental insight, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, which has not served its function. We just recreated empires and high priests now in the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That same thing all over again. We took know? the guy that they blew it with yeah, and, and said, uh, we're, well, we're the guys that are with him and we're doing the same we're thing. We're doing the same and couldn't see that we were doing the same thing. And don't think you're doing no, the same no, thing. No, no, that's exactly. So, uh, ending with the dramatic, what we call passion, death, resurrection, and ascension. Now, if I had time to just put all of those stages on a little timeline, that is human history, but it gives you, it takes the whole pattern and gives it to you early in life. This is how the classic life will unfold in some form or another. For everyone. Which For everyone. Mm-hmm. And that allows you to trust the betrayals when they come. I'm convinced that everybody who is on the Jesus path sooner or later has to deal with a major betrayal. And how are you going to deal with that? Are you mm-hmm. going to turn bitter? You know, mm-hmm. And, and the, there is no suffering that God cannot encompass, transform. And, and all the final chapter of history is resurrection. Uh, the final chapter of history is God will will transform your crucifixions, human crucifixions, into resurrection. And then the final, final chapter is what we call ascension. You will return to where you started. It's mm. cyclical. Mm. That all things return to God. Mm. But it gives meaning to human betrayal, hostility, tragedy, suffering. Which, I mean, you know, I remember I gave a retreat to the army chaplains years ago. And they, this is when PTSD was first becoming a word commonly known. I guess it was the mid-90s or something like that. And after I studied all the symptoms of PTSD, I'm convinced that probably a good percentage of human beings who've ever lived on this planet have had post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. When you see the list of nonstop wars, massacres, genocides... Barbarian hordes just coming in, burning cities. How many children grew up, you know, without parents, seeing their parents killed? Uh, uh, God had to make a dramatic statement that this will not go in vain. This Mm. will be transformed. This will be that what you crucify, God will raise up. And so the killing of the symbolic God-man, whom we call Jesus, is, I believe, the revelation of the transformed pattern of all history. Mm. You know, that's my understanding of what I would call the cosmic Christ. Now, that's much bigger than Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus becomes the icon, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. the temporal, in-time icon of a universal mystery. The idea that Christ 
was all all time, not just Christ two thousand years ago. That's right, and that's in the New Testament. Yeah, for any of you who are New Testament, prologue <laughs> to John's Gospel, first chapter of Colossians, first chapter of Ephesians, right. first paragraph of Hebrews, first paragraph of First John, all say the Christ existed from all eternity. So, what do I mean by the Christ? Is the confluence, the amalgam of divinity and humanity, of matter and spirit. Mm. And that began with what we would now call the Big Bang, that God decided to materialize and show himself, herself, itself, whoever God is. And this material creation is the Christ. Mm. You understand? Mm-hmm. That that is not just a plant. That is manifesting the divine. Like the Buddha and, sermon you know, where he just holds up the flower. Yeah, and now anything can convert you. And we overdid the literalism again. Well, Jesus is the human of uh, the union of human and divine. Right? Yes, he is. And this is where I'd be very conservative Christian now. If we can't put it together in him and believe it in one focused, distilled, concrete place. How could you possibly believe it and looking at the lizard and the geranium? Well, you do, I think you're doing kind of a funny thing there. You're giving them what they want by saying it's also everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And so a lot of people run to the everywhere, but normally, you might have to take this on trust to begin with, until you struggle with it in the concrete, you're not in awe of it everywhere, too. Do you understand? Mm. People who too glibly say, oh, yeah, God's everywhere. They don't really believe it. You understand? Yeah, that's interesting. You've got to fight it, oppose it, uh, struggle with it, fall into it, and uh, fall on your knees before it and kiss it. (laughs) And then, oh my God, what I just kissed here, I can kiss everywhere. So that that kind of is what I was getting at, too, is the idea that it probably doesn't matter. But you're saying there is a benefit to saying... There was a, a virgin birth, there was a sinless life, there was a physical death and resurrection. That might even be the path to coming to a place where you say, it doesn't really matter, that's the wrong question. But a way to get it to that answer might be through believing it. Even though we can say, all the things that deconstructionists mm-hmm. say, uh, there's no other accounts of this man, yeah. uh, Josephus was a hack, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know... The uh, Gospel of, as you said, Matthew wasn't written by Matthew. These yeah. things were put together yeah. hundreds of years later. Then the faith was declared the official sure. faith. And then we went back, and then Nicaea, and we're leaving things out, and we're adding things, and there's an agenda to see. Do all, all of that is just to give a, 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 a tangent, a trajectory to history. But don't get caught up in the fingers pointing to the moon. It, if you have the moon experience, the unitive experience, then you can go back and say, and I, I guess this makes me clinically a heretic, but <laughs> I, I really don't believe, care if you believe in the virgin birth or don't. It's, it's, yeah. it's a metaphor of that only God can, can create the divine presence. You can't do it by, right. by uh, your effort. You know? So when, when people are trying to still take the Shroud of Turin or yeah, whatever yeah. and get some blood off it and do yeah. a DNA test and yeah. show that it didn't have a father, yeah. that's a waste of time, right? I mean, this it's is silly in time. In the final analysis, even in the intermediate analysis, it's a waste of time. Who cares? <laughs> I don't care in the least. You know? uh, no, the whole thing is to experience the Christ mystery now. Yeah. And then you'll go back and read all those texts with awe and wonder and delight, but no need to prove 
that they happen. My yeah. faith isn't based on historical happenings, except my history. You know that oh, I that I've touched into it now, and therefore I can say, as in me, so also, it might just be true everywhere. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I have no trouble. I don't waste time fighting the Jesus story, because and when I stop oppositionally fighting it, then I can discover the fifty-two levels of meaning that are already there. It's almost like reading it without the burden of liberal truth as yeah. like what Joseph Campbell says about other truth. The burden of liberal truth. A bur- a be- Literalism, I'm going to repeat it, is the lowest level of meaning, the least level of meaning, the least fruitful level of meaning. To prove, And we've wasted centuries <laughs> on that. Trying to prove it. Who cares, you know? Yeah. I mean, Jesus knows when he tells the prodigal son story, it's a story. Yeah. Right, 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 right. A good Samaritan is a story. The publican and the Pharisee are a story. Get the meaning. Right. Why spend... But how did we turn the prodigal son into a story about you go off and you're drinking and gambling, and then as long as you come back to Jesus, you're still Mm -hmm. going to heaven? Mm -hmm. That's the prodigal son story in a lot of modern churches that I've been to. And then here comes Rob Bell, and here comes you saying, like, no, that's a story about God saying, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. That's new age. That's a new age, as you keep saying, yeah. these new age thoughts, which I'm completely on board with, by the way, I, I don't think people think of as being inclusive in the Christian faith. No, because they grew up with tribal Christianity, you mm-hmm. know, defining what you were not. By the way, that story, I think an equally important part of the prodigal son story is the statement about the elder brother, who is the symbol of uh, righteous religion, hmm. arrogantly standing in the background and, and saying, you know, why did you throw the party for the sinner? Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, this is uh, what Pope Francis is saying to our church now. We've we've been much more the elder son in the, instead of admitting yes. that, in fact, we're all the little one in need of mercy. Yeah. We've stood in judgment over the people who needed mercy as if we didn't. Yeah. yeah. I just got those chills thinking about my, again, the most important history to apply to these beliefs is your own history. Yeah. And I'm thinking about my time uh, in disbelief or whatever you want to say yes, yeah. that I already alluded to. Why do I get the party when I come back? Why did I get to mm. <laughs> learn and see and feel and touch when it should have been pure Pete? Pure Pete was both brothers in that story. <laughs> very, very good. <laughs> the- you live in the realm of what you've perhaps heard me call meritocracy, quid pro quo. It's a world of counting, measuring, earning, weighing. That's where the dualistic mind likes to live. That's America. It's called capitalism. Mm-hmm. Nothing is received without hard work and achievement. That storyline is so pleasing to the ego. That's what almost all of Jesus' parables are trying to undo. After transformation, after enlightenment, after conversion, basically, if I can say it in one phrase, you stop counting. Mm. That you realize the world of measuring, I am worthy, he is unworthy, is meaningless. Mm. Now that's when you move from meritocracy and you begin to swim in the world of grace. Mm. That's how I can tell if a person is enlightened. <laughs> that's how I can tell. If they're still measuring, counting themselves too, mm-hmm. or forcing it on me or that prostitute or whatever she are that drug addict you know mm-hmm. or that uh, disabled person isn't as attractive there's a thousand ways to count yeah <laughs> and to measure and to weigh when your mind actually stops doing that that would be total enlightenment mm. where, 
where all I see is the divine image shining through everything equally, just as much in a man with cerebral palsy as a handsome male model who, you know, whose body is beautiful. Right. To recognize they're both equal images of God and to treat both of them with equal dignity. Yeah. That would be total enlightenment. Yeah. yeah. The inclusion. Yeah, and total inclusivity. Right. Because now there's no criteria by which to eliminate anybody, including people of other religions. Mm-hmm. Which, ironically, for righteous people, is the last idol to fall, you know, because they feel it's the falling of their God. When, in fact, you know, do we have two different Jesuses? <laughs> the Jesus in his lifetime on this earth, and I could prove this chapter and verse, is always inclusive always non-punitive, always, you know, merciful. And then in his name, after he dies, we create a religion that is exclusive, mm-hmm. highly punitive, and uh, as Pope Francis says, there is a hierarchy to truth. And he says at the absolute top of the Christian hierarchy of truths is mercy, mm-hmm. which he defines as love in action. Love in action. Mm. He says, when a Christian no longer sees mercy as the very top of the hierarchy of truths, the whole thing has fallen like a deck of cards. Mm. And this is what you were referring to before, that Christianity just doesn't have much attractiveness right. to, to much of the world. But Jesus did. But Jesus, Jesus still does. Talking and he gets, has to get on a boat because the crowd's too big. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and Jesus still... Although most people have never heard the real Jesus, they've heard the Christian version of him. And so they're, they pretty much don't like Jesus either, which is unfortunate. Right. Because you don't have to apologize for Jesus. He's right. just a ninth level of consciousness and spiral dynamics. You yeah. don't get any higher than that. Right, you know? right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he, oh God. <laughs> it's interesting, as you were talking, I was like, what? What to do then? I know that that is kind of a, an American thing. Oh, that's okay. I would say I'm with you that uh, when we're in traffic, we should surrender and and see the reflection of of your own face and your own windshield and see the light coming through and look at a man on a motorcycle and connect with the person next to you who's singing along with their radio. There's there's wonder and there's beautiful things and godliness and the kingdom of heaven is in that moment. And then what we do is we turn that into a magical prayer. So I'm not telling you to say to the listener, but I feel compelled to ask, what is your practice? What what should we practice? You know, first of all, I'd want to say it's changed throughout my life. As a young uh, little Catholic boy in Kansas, I'm sure I would have said Hail Marys and Our Fathers and gone to Mass and knelt there reverently and done the Catholic thing. Dress rehearsal. You have to start where you start. It doesn't really matter. But it's good that it has structure to it. You can't start structureless, do you mm-hmm. see? Mm-hmm. And that's the naivete of some New Age thinking. You understand that, that it thinks I can start with an open field. No, it's better in terms of natural growth and psychological development, to start with a a narrow field and then widen it out. Mm. The trouble is most people remain with the narrow field. Now, back to your question. But then the people that wanted the open field need to realize that the small one is better for them to get where they want to go. I'm I'm convicted with the idea that, like, I am that guy that I go, like, God is everywhere, I'm saturated in him. And then I'm also going, like, it is nice to find that more rigored path. The distilled, focused moment is needed. We call that the principle of incarnation, that great theater has to be 
portrayed on small stages. You can't get great theater. It's it's too big. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mind can't handle it. You know, mm-hmm. great truth, I should say, has to be portrayed on small stages, <laughs> and and you, f- <laughs> you struggle with it in the small stage. But anyway, back to my prayer. Then yeah. I joined the Franciscans again. We had a we were on our knees in silence in the chapel twenty minutes every morning before. Then we chanted the psalms in the course of the week. Uh, you would chant all 150 psalms. Right? Oh that was called the, the divine office, and that's what a monk did. Mm-hmm. We were friars, but we adopted the same custom after a while. Of in the course of the week, chanting the psalms. Originally, I did it in Latin before Vatican II. But the, I remember, especially the 20 minutes in silence, you either go crazy or get bored to death, or you start surrendering to the moment, what's mm-hmm. going on here. And I remember having some wonderful, so much so that I would go back in the night very often before I'd go to bed and kneel in the dark chapel, wanting the moment of communion, of ecstasy, of joy to be repeated. Mm. Uh, Would it? Off, you can't program it. it I just, know. It's once in a while. <laughs> it's maybe once a year, I mean. Yeah. You understand what that's enough. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. more than enough. Once yeah. you know it, it's, that's all you need. Yeah. Um, then I was ordained a priest where, of course, in 1970, now my job was to celebrate the Mass. Well, then I had to put on all these vestments and preach sermons, and I'm so much the center of attention that I think that's why a lot of priests don't really learn how to pray. They're, they're leading other people in this formal social prayer of the Mass or liturgy or worship services, and you're so conscious of your role that you leave and you say, that I really pray myself, you understand? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I had to go deeper at that when I recognized this. I, I think my prayer is getting superficial and helping other people pray, but I don't. And that really became my deeper discovery of contemplation, learning how to pray always. Mm. And that's been my practice now for 25, 30 years. Right? And do you have to snap back? I have to imagine you do. Every once in a while you snap back into it, you realize, oh, my brain, my monkey brain. Monkey mind is monkey just mind jumping around. Has yeah. taken over. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. I loved what you said to your ego for some reason is addicted to putting itself down or yeah, negative, negative. It loves negativity. It, it does. Yeah. It loves to be oppositional. It's very hard for the ego to attach to joy. Did you know that? <laughs> yeah. You've got to be told that. Joy can't be sustained yeah. unless you consciously give it away. That's the only way to sustain it. Consciously give it yeah. away. Like you say, you know, I'm going to try to make this checkout girl's day a little easier and I'm going to smile at her. Yeah. yeah, that's all it takes. Yeah. Then, then you can hold on to it yeah. until you consciously give away happiness, intention. I want to make that man's day a little happier. You can't hold on to joy, but negativity you can hold on to for the rest of your life. Yeah, with with glee, yeah. replaying, <laughs> replaying an offense. Yeah, replaying he's planning a, wrong. A revenge. She, she planning yeah. a revenge. It's 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 demonic. It yeah. really is our attraction. To the negative. Yeah. So, um, now what did you ask? <laughs> I did my little speeches. And I We're talking about the practice. Oh, and I oh, was yeah, asking yeah. what... I'm looking... It's very practical, and it might be outside of the point, I'm not sure, but looking for those things that help us snap back into the yeah. moment uh, when your monkey mind wants you yeah. to think about anything else. I would say the most universal spiritual discipline found at the higher levels in all of the world religions is some degree of silence and solitude some degree. You've got to stop the chatter. You've got to stop 
And this is more important than ever because of this wonderful technology that we all enjoy, and I do too. Mm -hmm. But there has to be a place. I know a lot of men who, after the retreats I've given them, they make their car, for example, not all the time, into their monastery, that I deliberately, this half hour, I'm not going to turn on the radio. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to turn on the iPod or whatever. Uh, I think without some degree of chosen solitude and silence, you cannot clean the lens. You mm. cannot move outside the chatter of the cultural agenda. Mm. You know, I mean, you listen to news that probably I'm, I enjoy the evening news just because that tells me what to pray about. You know, but you do know, and you know better than I. Every three days, there's a new drama. All right. And we all got caught, caught up in this drama. Mm-hmm. And they've got to fill up their half hour by saying interesting things about Ferguson, Missouri, or whatever it is. And I'm glad to know that so I can pray for the people in Ferguson, Missouri. But, you know, most of it you don't need to know. Yeah. <laughs> you don't need to know the blow-by-blow detail. When I, For years, I always took Lent, the 40 days of Lent. We're in that right now. Obviously, I'm not doing it this year, but... Uh, I would take it alone in a hermitage. Now, that was more part of our Franciscan tradition. Mm. And uh, I remember often coming out of that 40 days in, at Easter time and turning on the radio for the first time. And I, the first thing I would always notice is the anger mm. in the voices, even of the, of the commentators, you know. Mm-hmm. They're yelling at me. <laughs> when, when you haven't been yelled at... When you had silence for 40 days, most talking sounds like yelling. Mm. There's harshness, there's agenda, there's under, it's, it's just, I mean. Persuading and yeah, insisting. You know, I can listen to people like Nancy Grace, who I know is saying things that probably we need to know, but I want to say, cool it, you know, cool it. That's what, <laughs> I don't need your anger. I don't yeah. need your, even about issues that I admit deserve anger, abused children and right, all that, sure. you understand? Yeah. But the the whole temper of the country has... I think we're an angry country today. It, yeah. It's probably inevitable without uh, some degree of silence and solitude. Yeah. It takes over. Yeah. It just takes over. It's funny that you said that the last uh, guest I had on the show talked about sensory deprivation tanks. And I was like, I think it's oh, funny how those are becoming oh. more and more popular. He said the idea that he was floating there and, and he completely understood viscerally the idea that he was... And this is not a spiritual person... That he wasn't his body, that he was wow. that he was wow. something else, and I was mm. like, "Of course, I'm going to do that. I've done that many times." And you know, I'm a big uh, advocate of both meditation and then also the more Richard Rohr style, which is like you mm. should always be kind of meditating. Mm. Uh, but it does help to have. That's it. If you don't do it specifically in this distilled, focused form, it's hard to do. You it all will the time. not be doing it all the time. That's <laughs> we uh, keep uh, circling uh, around uh, the uh, same points. Uh-huh. But isn't it funny how long it takes? For them to sink in, I do really need to hear things about seven times. Oh, me too. Me too. Don't feel bad. Yeah. Oh no, and you need to hear it every. Yeah. I mean, that's why we talk about morning prayer. I. It's like you got to hear it every day again. Yeah. Because yeah. I'll lose it. And why did you keep chanting those same songs? Yeah. 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 Well, I get, get tired of it too. Here's a here's a kind of a stranger one uh, for you. You have this wonderful analogy in falling upward about the crab bucket and our families, oh, yeah. and you're a crab trying to escape the crab bucket. And the other crabs are also trying to escape, but they're just pulling down the other crabs. And that's something I've, I've always credited you, but I use that for many, many analogies. It's a helpful analogy. The idea that waking up, the idea of growth or change, makes you very unpopular. 
Uh, it's hard sometimes with your family or even your friends. It's true. And this is something Rob and I talk about, and I heard you say it as well, the idea that Christ said he came to bring not peace but war yeah. and uh, a sword and sword. turn brother against brother. And even the disciples themselves are like, you got to leave your families and all that sort of stuff. So what is it about waking up or, or, or breaking away from our families, which I really do think in certain ways. No, go I, I love I'm my parents, you. but no. man, have I built a rocket ship to fly away from them. Yeah. And that's very painful. I, I still I talk to my mom about how difficult that is to like let go of your children yeah. in certain ways. To show Jesus countercultural high-level consciousness. You know, the Ten Commandments say, honor your father and mother. Jesus says, leave your yeah. father and mother. <laughs> I don't think most of us, I don't know what these focus on the family people do with it, who think Jesus is talking about the little nuclear family and hold together, which I'm all for. But Jesus' image of family is the, the international global family, the universal family, you know. And very often what keeps us from the big family sorry to say, is the prejudices and narrow-mindedness and white picket fence of the little family. Mm. That's why he said, you've got to be willing to call your early preconditioning, to use our language, into question. I know many people who would have had, would have probably done some great things in their life if they would have been able to overcome the negative, carping, uh, prejudicial voices of their nuclear family. Mm. And to make that break is heroic for most people. Mm-hmm. And that is the hero's journey to a certain Yeah, extent. yeah. Leave home. There, yeah. There's no hero story of a guy who doesn't leave home. <laughs> always leave home. Now, you and I both, I had wonderful parents just like you, so yeah. I'm not trying to make a point. Oh, yeah, no. I, I, I've heard enough hate my mother stories. What a waste of time. You know? <laughs> but at the same time, I guess it's no irony that I grew up in Kansas. I mean... Uh, it's probably an image uh, of the yeah, sort of backward, flat, yeah. uh, medieval American world. Uh, I and there's would, no place like home. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go over the rainbow and leave uh, beautiful Kansas. And I love to go home and be with my family. But very often, uh, frankly, the politics of my home state and, mm-hmm. and the religion of my home state, I, I, I couldn't live there. It's mm-hmm. just too tiny. Mm-hmm. And oh, sorry, Kansas people, but I, <laughs> it's just my God. There's I've a bigger world than that too. <laughs> and, and I come from Boston, which is you know it's an intellectual place, but it's wow. also like a very uh, working class place. It's kind of both. It's a little yeah, bit you'd of, have uh, both. Of course, you would. It's yeah. everything. Yeah. But you know, and and I I wrestle with that idea that my mom she was the one that turned me on to the church, and I really believed elders when they spoke to me. And I just mean someone over 30. If they told me that uh, this was heaven and this was hell and this is what you do, I just kind of bought into it and then really uh, owned that. And then I had that time when I was like, this is all manure and I'm, I'm leaving and I don't like it. And, and now I'm trying to go back and look without labeling. But I got to say, a meal with my family is the master's course in letting things be what they are and not judging it's. I mean, literally, I'll get. I'll do. I'll do it as a meditation. I'll sit at a, a dinner table with my father and my mother, and I'll. I'll do these little tricks. I'm like, if this were a dream, right? I would go. I am dreaming my mother exactly how she is. So it makes me kind of fascinated in her. You know what I'm, I'm saying? Clever. Yeah, I love these little hacks. Oh, I go like, if this were a dream, clever. I would be like. I wouldn't be going like, Mom is so annoying. I'd be going, that's exactly what my mom would say. That's exactly how my dad wouldn't be listening. <laughs> you know. So, But I'm doing this, and I'm having some success, 
at the end of the meal, my dad said, "What what was wrong? You didn't seem like yourself because I wasn't participating in the in the tornado of, the, of nonsense, the banter." Yeah. But I got this like splitting headache, and I'm not a headache oh, guy. Wow. I got the biggest headache in the world because it was taking every cylinder. so much energy. <laughs> God bless you. Well, thank That's you. That's <laughs> beautiful. That's heroic. I, I can't do it. But then next time I'm on the phone with them, I, re- I really do appreciate that. Then the next time I'm talking to them, though, like, it's just a complete fail. It's a yeah. zero. It's a zero. I don't have the energy today to sustain that. Isn't yeah. that crazy? No, no, it's beautiful. See, that's... That's practical meditation. You use a concrete life situation yeah. to practice letting go of compulsive, repetitive, <laughs> obsessive thoughts. Right. That's perfect. Well, the, perfect. the mind, uh, uh-huh. especially with your parents, wants to label, and oh, that's yeah, why they uh, offend us so uh, deeply. Uh, and then you're worried that you're them because you are them. <laughs> and you're like, am I going to be like my father? Am I going to be, you know, somewhere else? My dad is a very, I love my father. Sure you do. He yeah. is in his head. Mm. he's got monkey mind and his monkey mind has made him a successful person mm. and then I see that in myself I'm the guy that on the drive over I'm thinking what am I going to ask Richard and that's making this interview better do you oh, understand oh, okay. but it's yeah. also making me not the most like Deepak Chopra isn't a very funny person <laughs> you know what I mean like because he's not anxious I'm not either well they, maybe that's a good thing maybe it's yeah. because you're not a lunatic like me in the shower <laughs> thinking like Oh, what's a funny nickname I could call Richard Roy? Or so, you know what yeah. I mean? I'm not even doing it in the front of my mind. It's just happening no. in, the, in the orc dungeon where they're making swords and stuff. See, now you're good for me. Lighthearted people. Uh, <laughs> uh, do you know the anagram at all? Uh, no. Yeah. The, oh, you uh, know, Kristen seven. told me to do it. I, I yeah, haven't done yeah, it. Yeah. I'm a one. We're very serious, conscientious, zealous, hardworking, dead, obnoxious, really. We're so damn serious. <laughs> That's probably why I became a priest. But, uh, I love, uh, many of my closest friends are your type. Yeah, is that right? Because you keep me from taking myself too serious. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. So that's how... uh, I got to do it. It's called the Enneagram. Yeah, E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. I'm going to do it. You're probably a seven. Uh, (laughs) Well, you know, once Rob said he was a seven, I was like, that means I'm probably not a seven. Rob and I are very, very similar but I have this darkness that I don't see in him. And I don't say that with any sort of James sure. Dean, sure, sure, oh, aren't I interesting? I'm going to drink myself to death in a bar, you know, like writing a manifesto. Mm-hmm. It's not like that because I am a cheery person. But there's something in me that goes, I don't completely fit in Laguna. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. There's something when I'm oh, in Manhattan. I take back, you're probably not a seven. That's good. And <laughs> when I I'm in Manhattan, I'm like, I, I get this. I, I like don't this. need to type you. That's all right. <laughs> no, but, I would rather uh, you yeah, did. Yeah, Are you yeah, kidding? Yeah. That's what I live uh, for. Creativity is a big thing for you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You're probably a four. That, <laughs> that, that, the love of the, the the dark, the tragic. Right. Yeah. Not to say that Rob avoids the here I am being... No, he does. Yeah. The he, seven he, avoids the tragic. Does he really? Oh, yeah. The I, four is attracted to the tragic, but they're almost ashamed to admit it. That's interesting. To be. I'm the yeah. guy that my girlfriend understands when I say, we need to burn this day, meaning I can't handle today. Let's just, uh, let's go get some drinks in the middle of the afternoon or uh, whatever it was. Yeah, yes. And it's, it's great. It's not, it's melancholy and it's very Irish and Lithuanian, which is what I am. Wow. But it's like depressive... But I, it doesn't depress me. It just feels right to, like, yeah. torch something. And, again, I don't need to pigeonhole you, but when you study it, check out the four. I will. All right, check out the and, four. And please do. My <laughs> whole life, I stand in front of people and I say things and I go, does this sound like me? And they laugh and I go, that must be me. 
because they're seeing wow. me and they're sensing me. It's all self-exploration. That's a vulnerable moment. That's beautiful. Well, that's why bombing that's hurts. That's good. Right? If, if I was just doing one-liners, I don't think it would hurt as much as when you're really going up and saying, Hi, this is me. And if they don't respond... <gasps> oh, yeah. Very... What do you feel? God, that's been We're running out of time. Yeah, we got 15 more minutes. Which is, which is fine. And, and we can wrap up before then if you feel it. You ask whatever you want. Well, I told you two hours and you're a delight to be. <laughs> oh. Thank you. Yeah. This is everything I want it to be. Here we go. Um, I'm going to say some things and you can just pick one because oh, I got all these oh, notes. Yeah. The idea of sin is interesting to me. Right. I like what you said about being evil people people tend to think they're evil mm. people tend to think that what I talk to a lot of guys speaking of drinks I'll go out for drinks with comedians and I'm the weirdo that's telling them about Richard Rohr and Rob Bell and telling them that God loves them and God wants them and you can't do anything that makes you closer or further from God okay. and after the third whiskey they say this is something that somebody said to me and I, it, I didn't know what to say he goes no when I die if there's a hell that's where I'm going that's what he said to me. One of the smartest... And I had just did my best ta- tap dance about being like, you can't separate yourself from God. Mm, no. So people, maybe we That's should That's that attraction to the negative, that attraction to... We wrap ourselves around yeah. a defeatist uh, thing. Well, um, the word sin at this point in history for most educated Western people is a useless concept. <laughs> it's been so distorted, misused, uh, to, uh, to uh, damn people, to pigeonhole people, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the, the definition we were given was, by and large, these are a set of arbitrary actions that for some reason God is upset by. God doesn't like you to do them. You know? I, I'm not no. even trying to be crude. It was just such a part of my adolescence. If no. you don't jerk off, no. you're with God. Yeah, oh, that was the big one. For every young male. For every, every young male. And when Garrison Keeler writes about, uh, and I had a joke about it myself, masturbating and worrying about the second coming happening <laughs> while <laughs> you're coming. <laughs> you, know, oh you're like, you, don't, you don't want that to happen. I, when he said that, and then I later did a joke about it, uh, it was so unifying. I was yeah. like, thank you. We all thought yeah. if we could stop yeah. masturbating, we would be it's, in. It's amazing how universal that is. With Isn't the, that crazy? With, with the male, in all denominations. Because that's sin. It was, it was a secret, dirty thing that you, every boy did but right. couldn't talk about. Right. See, well, maybe it's good you went in that direction, because what we found out is the things that we emphasized as sin, and that's why the world, word is useless, were almost always body-identified. Mm. The body, for some reason, carries our sense of inferiority. We see that it dies, it ages, it gets sick, it gets obese. Uh, you know, look at uh, obesity, bulimia, anorexia, addiction, all body-based stuff. Mm. Uh, we... We feel shame about being embodied. Now, so low-level religion, almost without exception, makes the body-based sins the biggies, Mm. you know? You can be greedy. We sort of admire greed, you know? Mm -hmm. But we catch Bill Clinton with Monica Lewinsky. We got it. Oh, that's a bad one. Gotcha. Right. You know? 
Uh, he could be deceitful. Well, we expect presidents to be deceitful. Do you understand? You could we'll, even kill people. We'll overlook idea. almost any other sin, but yeah. gotcha with Lewinsky. Do you yes. See? Yeah, yeah. Yes. That's the real. That's almost a sign for me of immature religion mm-hmm. when it's obsessed. And Pope Francis, as you can see, he's one of my heroes. Is is just saying this? He says, "Let's get over our obsession <laughs> in the Catholic Church with with abortion." Uh, reproduction, mm-hmm. so-called, or contraception, homosexuality, and, and, and homosexuality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just stop it! Just mm-hmm. stop it! <laughs> I mean, we would have called those. If you want to call them sins, they were called sins of weakness. And he says the sins of the spirit are sins of malice, ambition, greed, consumerism, pollution that's destroying the earth, mm-hmm. and oppressing and abusing other people. These are the sins we need to talk about. Injustice. The massive injustice and racism and sexism on this earth. I really think, Pete, it's it, at this point, it's a game of smoke and mirrors. That the ego doesn't want us to really address the issues that are destroying the earth. And I'm not saying there isn't such a thing as sexual sin. You certainly can use other human beings, and that's wrong, you know. Mm-hmm. But the jerking off phenomenon that you brought up is. <laughs> That ain't the problem, you know. That, right. Uh, it's just. A, a, it's another case of that message getting turned into just that something very tiny and small. So, I'm, I, I do believe there is such a thing as evil that we can enter into. Whenever I block love, whenever I refuse to participate in the divine flow of love through me toward building goodness, freedom, forgiveness in this world, I'm in the state of sin. It's much more a state than an action. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like so many sexual sins are really early amorous attempts. I mean, who starts knowing how to love? All your early sexual experience are clumsy, amorous mm-hmm. attempts, you know. Mm-hmm. But they're really trying to search for communion, trying to search for intimacy. Mm-hmm. That's not bad, mm-hmm. you know, to focus on that. I mean, fornication, to have premarital sex, all things being equal, it's probably better that you have sex with the, the mother of your child so there'd be some, you know... So I can see why they said it. Mm-hmm. But then to jump to the next stage and say, if you do that, God hates you and you're going to go to hell. Right. That's so silly. That's so <laughs> silly. I don't believe that for a second. You yeah. know? I mean, God's going to condemn 90.9% of human beings who ever lived right. on this earth to hell. I always love that <laughs> idea of looking at the human species as if you were looking at like zebras or something. And you'd be like, oh, none of them are monogamous. If you look at it in certain oh, ways, uh-huh, uh-huh. we have rules like, oh, his wife died and then he had sex with another one. You just go, no, that zebra had sex with that one and then he had sex with this one. Really basic stuff. So do you hear me? I'm not throwing out the concept yeah. of sin because you do need this impulse control to just help you grow up yeah but when it's used to flagellate and and control human beings by uh, promises of divine uh, punishment that's misuse of religion mm-hmm. it really is even though all religions do it at the early stages but you look the mystics don't talk about sin that much it's all no. about 
You, or hell? No. That's no, what I always uh, said. Jesus doesn't even tell you. No. He tells it in a couple stories. And yeah, he says, well, it's almost all in Matthew. Yeah. And it's uh, Hades or Gehenna. And we all know Matthew yeah. hated himself. <laughs> Why he hated himself? Yeah. <laughs> Matthew had some problems, man. <laughs> uh, well, this, this I, I'd be remiss not to say this because I say this almost every episode. Because I ask people on the show what the meaning of life is. Mm. And when people ask me what the meaning of life is, I hope... I hope you can be big enough to enjoy this stroke to your ego. Don't block it, Richard. Don't judge it. I say to humbly and proudly return what you've been given, which is from falling upward. Oh, God, that's beautiful. My girlfriend gave me a, a, a print of that quote on the really? canvas. Really? From falling upward? Uh, it, it might not be verbatim, but it's that's no, the no, essence. No, I would say Humbly that. <laughs> and proudly. So here we have some non-dualistic yeah, yeah, contradictions. Yeah, humbly and Return what you've been given. So you've Thank been given Thank you this. for hearing that. Isn't that good? That is. Richard, it's in the intro. It's in the intro. <laughs> Thank you. It's Thank a ridiculous you. thing. No. So that's, you've already said what the meaning of life is. And this is a question I ask a lot. And it'll be a good way to end is, uh, what happens when we die? And a fine answer is, it's not our concern. That would be... Yeah, that's the first thing. Yeah. That's in God's hands. But if I'm to believe the great teachers... It uh, the whole mystery is circular. Now the physical universe is telling everything just changes forms. Mm-hmm. Life is not ended, but merely changed. The same atoms are on this universe that were at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, no new just, energy. They just keep changing forms. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's not Buddhism or Hinduism. That I believe is Christianity. We just call it the divine conception and the ascension are returning back to where you started. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we came forth from God. And we return to God. And everything in between is a lesson that hopefully is a lesson in surrendering to love. Surrendering to, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. So, uh, really, love is just learning how to say yes to what is, that's all. It's not some big sentimental. It it has that uh, on occasion. uh, But it's mostly just trusting that what is, is enough and is okay. Say, love is saying yes to what is. That's a mantra. People ask me how to meditate sometimes, because mm. I talk about it a lot. Sit quietly and say, love is saying yes to what mm, is. It's beautiful. That's a good you. mantra. Thank you. That's a good mantra. It sure is. That's and better yet, than as you, know, <laughs> as you know, it's hard to do, though, because yeah, we want to fix what is, change what is, explain what is, yeah. say no to what is. All the other options are more attractive. Yeah. Than saying yes to what is. Yeah, my mm. God. Perfect mm. way to stop. I, I say this, mm-hmm. Rob would tell you, fucking A. That's what I say <laughs> when, I hear, when I hear amazing things. I have so many more notes, it doesn't matter. We couldn't, all I wanted well, to do was give you can people. come to New Mexico and we'll talk again. Anytime. Oh, I, I'm glad you said that because I hope we can do that. And I just wanted to give people a taste of, of what it is you sure. do. Sure. And I, I'm really grateful. We end with the guest saying, keep it crispy. It, it doesn't mean anything. Really. Keep it crispy? Yeah, you just say, <laughs> you don't have to say this is Richard Rory. You already said it. I mean, we could stop. But you just say, keep it crispy. Everyone does it. Keep it crispy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a God good bless one. You. Okay. you too, Richard. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you're beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Hey. I'm so crispy. I'm so crispy. My ice can make you haters want to get me. Now leaving Nerdist.com.